Welcome to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with Eva Medelec. If you're struggling to stay ahead of your daily life challenges, you will want to listen close as Eva and her guests will help you address the most important priorities first. Now, here's your host, Eva Medelec. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's show. I'm Eva Medelec, and I am here today with Libby Patrick, the CEO and founder of Blue Robin Downsizing. She has spent over 20 years as an employment specialist for people with disabilities. She's organized their workspace and their homes to improve their success. And she took her remarkable way of connecting with people and her organizing skills to create a downsizing company with a culture of gentle kindness for the senior population. Libby is also the author of a newly released book, Miss Hoarder's Secret, available on Amazon. And she and her husband, Nelson, currently reside in Heath, Ohio. Welcome to the show today, Libby. I'm really excited to have you today. Thank you. Thank you. It's so good to be here. You know, um, what you do and what you talk about is something that's near and dear to my heart when it comes to really getting rid of stuff and the collection of stuff and the accumulation of stuff. And when that gets to be a more of a problem <laughs> than a kind of um, antiques roadshow, if you will. But before we get into what you do, help our audience know a little bit about Libby Patrick, the person. Who is Libby? What does she like to do? All that good stuff. <laughs> okay. Well, I will start with... Uh early memory, probably around eight years old. I remember standing on a small private landfill and I would walk across a rusty stove or refrigerator, try to reach a treasure that I thought a pretty bottle or a baby doll. And it dawned on me not long ago that I thought, wow, I started out with finding treasures and landfills and now <laughs> working with adults and helping them find their treasures and keep it out of the landfill. But I started this business basically because my life changed up in a major way. And I sat in a big house full of stuff and wondered, how am I gonna get rid of all this stuff, keep what I wanna keep, go to a smaller space? Uh, coordinating all of that and making that happen made me sit there and think there might be a lot of people out there that need help because their life changed up. And I just didn't realize how much stuff people had until I started doing this on a full-time basis. But um, I'm, I'm married. I have two wonderful children and I have um, five grandchildren. I love being a mom and being a grandma. That's my uh, absolute love of my life. So um, I couldn't um, ask for more as far as overflowing with joy and blessings in my life. You know, as you were talking about stuff, I remember, you know, when my, my grandmother had downsized and at one point she, she was in her mid nineties and she started getting rid of stuff. And I remember visiting her and she, she pointed to a box under a chair and she said, you can have anything you want in that box. I'm getting rid of things. I'm getting ready to die. She probably was in her mid nineties at the time. 
it's okay. I would go and I pulled the box out from under the chair and I pick up something and I'm like, oh, how about this? Oh, no, you can't have that. My husband gave that to me. All right. So I put that back. <laughs> I pick up something else out of the box. Oh, this is nice. What about this? No, no, you can't have that either. <laughs> and it seemed like everything I picked up out of the box had a special meaning to her and she wasn't quite ready to part with it yet. And I just thought it was so funny. I'm like, grandma, it's okay. I don't need anything right now. <laughs> you keep all of your stuff in this box. I know you are the queen of helping people get rid of their stuff. Talk to me a little bit about what the actual problem is with uh. <laughs> the stuff. Yeah. Da, da, da. <laughs> yeah. People are very attached to their stuff and there's an emotional attachment for various different reasons. Uh, I primarily work with people who are 75 and older and their attachment is somewhat different because some of them, let's say they came through the Great Depression and they had to reuse everything and repurpose. They saved everything for that reason. But then let's fast forward. Their lives got better. They became more successful. They not only were keeping things to repurpose, they're buying new more, more and more. And they remember how much they paid for it, where they got it, and they took it such special care of it, it still looks pretty much brand new. So to them, it should be worth a lot of money. And they're attached to it because of that. Sad news is most of the time, that's not the case. The other attachments that people have can be if their grandmother, let's say, gave them a piece of furniture or a particular item, they don't want to part with that because it's connected to a loved one. Maybe it's something you waited years for and you finally got it. Um, and then there's just people that just say, well, I know this is going to come back in style. <laughs> so, Hey, Libby, you're talking to me now. You're talking to me. These bell bottoms will come back in style one day. And, and I will be skinny enough to fit them again. There you go. <laughs> you know, it's funny. My dad has, you know, cowboy boots that I've had in high school and he refuses to get rid of them. He's like, they're still good boots. You might want to wear them one day. So not only is he holding on to his stuff, he's holding on to my stuff from my childhood too, which I think is, is hysterical. Um, what I want to actually get into with you a bit is, you know, we have the sentimental value that we put on things. Like you said, the sentimental, the emotional value and the value that we think it will, you know, increase in value at some point and maybe be someone's, maybe be a treasure or a hidden treasure. Like I love watching the Antiques Roadshow and like, oh my God, I think I have hidden treasures in my house. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how, when does the holding on to stuff become a problem for people? Well, if you are surrounded in your home and you don't have hardly any floor space left and everything is depreciating because of the condition, the dust where you're storing it, it's already a problem. If you're not using it, if you haven't seen it in years, you probably don't need it. And other 
people in your family probably will never want it. So that escalates the problem. Um, it's a breakup, and that's why I always have that crazy little tagline, breaking up stuff is hard to do, because we all remember our first boyfriend that broke up with us, and it broke our hearts, right? But that's kind of what I do on a daily basis, is I help people break up with their stuff, and they thought it was going to last forever, you know, just like your first love. But if you're moving to a smaller space, especially... You can't keep it all. So you have to break up. And How do you deal with the broken hearts that yes. are left in the wake of the breaking up with stuff? Well, it, it is a huge part of my job. I do a lot of coaching and mentoring um, because most of the time we don't get to go through one thing at a time. When I speak, I say, wouldn't that be nice if that was the case and how easy would that be? But Almost everybody that I work with, they are going through multiple things at once, which that's just life, right? So health may be changed, or they lost a spouse a couple, three years ago, or a parent, um, a job change, whatever else is going on. They, When I walk in the door, I know their hearts are heavy. And then I have to look at them and say, you're not going to have enough room to take that or it's time to let this go. A big part of my job, I feel like I break their hearts, but then I say, but we're gonna help you do that. We're gonna help you get through this. So what training do you have? What makes you an expert on uh, helping them with the broken hearted part of breaking <laughs> up with their stuff? Some of my background, I believe, uh, definitely helped and prepared me. I, I was, um, you know, working with people with disabilities, helping them get their life back. So they would come to me and I would help them figure out what kind of job they wanted to get and uh, help them get the interview, help them get the job and teach them the job and then help them keep the job. Um, so I'm, I think it's in my DNA. I, I just work well with people who they, they are at a point in their life where they sort of want to give up, but I, I always want them to look forward, not backward. And the other part is, I guess I've had a broken heart a few times myself. So you pick yourself up and you, you learn. And um, a valuable lesson I learned, and it's a good one for everybody, is your, your significance is not in your stuff. Your value is not in your stuff. And... I point that out a lot when I'm working with clients because yes, I know you love it. And yes, I know you paid a lot of money for it and you've had it for years and years, but that's not who you are. It's the person inside and you've worked on that and you are what's valuable. And that's a very powerful statement that you just made that your significance and your value is not in your stuff. How hard is it to get people to see that? I mean, rationally, it makes sense. Intellectually, it makes sense. But for people who are really attached emotionally to the memories that that stuff brings, or even the, dare I say, the control or the ownership of having autonomy over their stuff, like nobody can take my stuff from me. Um, how do you 
get people to really see that. Like what, what is your magic <laughs> and helping them through that? I've been accused of having a magic wand, <laughs> but I don't. Uh, I don't have the magic wand, but this would be one part of Libby Patrick that I can't really put my thumb on other than to say that I, I have a skill and I, I walk in the room and I'm able to give value to the person and then they trust me to guide them about their things. And also, I think it's helpful because I am working with people that are 75 and older. Those folks already have a pretty good mindset about their life. And that's something I wish they could teach younger generation is make sure you're doing what's important about you and growing as a person. And then, you know, stuff just kind of follows that but that's never going to be about who you are. Has there ever been, or who have you absolutely refused to work for? Like, yeah, I'm not the person to help you with that. I have walked in um, probably at least three situations that were beyond my capability mental health wise. And that would be what I call true severe hoarding. That's not my specialty. It's, and I don't even go there that I might be trained to help someone who is in a severe hoarding situation. Um, I also have a very, <laughs> very um, hyper sense of smell. So if I walk in and it's just overwhelming with pet odor, um, feces, things like that, that you, you know, we just can't quite wrap our brains around how some people do live, but um, I, I can't do that. I have walked out and said, I am sorry, this is not uh, what I do, but I will recommend someone. Yeah, I, I actually, it's funny you should say that. I, I watched that show Hoarders uh, on, I think it's on the Discovery Channel or Discovery Network, um, because once a year, uh, prior to COVID, we were doing yearly garage sales where my husband would just like, we just got to get rid of stuff, you know, get rid <laughs> of stuff before we buy anything new, we got to get rid of the old. And that's, it was always fun to do that. And if I found it hard to get rid of things, I would just watch an episode of Hoarders <laughs> to get myself motivated. Like, yep, I don't need it. If I haven't worn it or touched it or looked at it in a year, it's, it's going, it's going. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, hoard, hoarding is something different and we'll definitely talk about that a little bit later in the show. Um, but who would be your ideal client living? Who, who are you for? Oh, ideal clients. Um, people 55 and older. So you might have someone, uh, they're moving to a 55 plus community they're very excited about it. Um, they've just, just decided they want to downsize, but they're still very active, very healthy. And so we help them go from a big house, maybe to a two bedroom, two bath, nice garage space. Um, but most of my clients are much older than that. And I love my baby boomer clients who were two veterans or, you know, they've retired from being a, a doctor or just whatever. They're so interesting and getting in there and getting to hear their stories 
And especially those who have been married 60, 65, my, my champions were married 72 years. And I'm like, you got to give me all the secrets because this is amazing. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I really love working with them. And like I said, they have a good perspective about their things and they just want to take what looks nice and what they know that they will use. Um, so those are my ideal clients. What do you do with the stuff when you get rid of it? Well, everybody has the various categories, of course. So you have, <laughs> you know, trashy, you know, stuff that you can't do anything with it, but put it to the landfill. And we try not to put it there unless it belongs there. But there's so much repurposing. There's lots of charities all over Columbus and um, theaters, drama class in high school gets a lot of the vintage clothing or various different things that you can't really get any money out of. It's fun. Um, we take stuff to the animal shelter, they drop it off blankets or whatever we can to the animal shelter. And then, of course, everybody has stuff that they can sell because it's still in good shape. And we hook them up and there's a, a, a lots of auctioneers and online auctions and thrift stores and repurpose and consignment. So things that can be sold, go there. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break now. But when we come back, I really want to talk with you about some of what you see when you helping people downsize, if you will. So stick with us, guys. We'll be right back. What's stopping you from having more money, time, energy, and fun? Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it. www.evamedelec.com slash quiz. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition, not something you have. Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now. This is the year you can choose to change. Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress, and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships. www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Libby Patrick of Blue Robin Downsizing. And we are talking about, uh, I can't help but think of the Neil Sedaka song. They say that breaking up is hard to do. We're talking about breaking up with stuff and how hard that is to do. Libby, you know, this is what you've 
been called to do and that you do apparently with such grace and love and patience, helping people with these tough breakups. What do you, what have you noticed or what could you tell us about our attachment to stuff in general? People are attached to it, uh, to a deep, deep sense of this, you know, this means so much to me, I can't imagine living without it. When that's a piece of furniture, uh, I have to question that. But I want to hear the story, and there usually is one, and you, you get through that part of it. And so, okay, well, maybe you do need to keep that because, you know, of what you went through to get it and to uh, have it in your life. But most things are not like that. The attachment is, um, I, I feel like it's false because there, there's something out there and especially it's it feels like most americans anyway we use buying more doing more being more to kind of validate ourselves and make us feel like we're successful or that we've arrived to a certain point and i i get a lot of that and there's a sense of truth to that but when it becomes where your space is so crammed full then I have to go deeper and find out what is really going on. Is there an emptiness or a void in your life that, that, you know, caused this to happen? And it really, that's why I wrote the book, Miss Hoarder's Secret, is it's not that I'm a hoarding specialist. It was the reason behind what happened to this woman, because the book's based on a true story. And uh, there was such a grief in her life that she filled up her space until she could hardly walk through her home. And there's a lot of that that I have to kind of you know, weed out and uh, wade through with people to see why is it that is so important to you. So tell us about the book. I'm curious. Okay, well, the book is fun. I I had a good time. That kind of started in 2020 because we had some downtime, right? A little and, bit. <laughs> <laughs> and I started thinking about this this true story of a client that I worked with in 2018. And it never left my mind because anybody who worked on that uh, house with me never forgot it. And so the book became... Um, I didn't really know the the complete details of what happened in her life because she passed away and there was hardly any family or anybody to talk to that knew her. So I filled in the lines, but it, it really didn't take a lot of imagination because I knew she had lost her parents and with recently losing my mom in 2020, that grief is so deep and so heavy that you do something to alleviate the pain. And thankfully, I had family and lots of interaction with other people. But if you're somebody who really didn't have a big family and you didn't have a lot of friends, you're going to self-medicate with something. And this lady medicated with shopping online, buying, and it was all kinds of categories. And it was more than you can ever, ever imagine. <laughs> sounds like, it sounds like my mom. Libby. I lost my mom in 2019. 
and uh, and I'm sorry for your loss as well. And and losing losing your mother is is a very different and special type of grief uh, that I I had no idea what to expect when when that happened. But you know, it was I wrote a blog probably back in 2018, 2017, 2018, um, called Life Is Now, and in it, in that blog, I we um we were i was in berlin germany and our apartment overlooks an ancient jewish cemetery and it was in the middle of winter and i went out there into the cemetery with a bright red dress and my husband took these amazing photographs of me next to these ancient um headstones if you will and everything was in black and white except me in the red dress and I remember writing that, thinking of my mom, how she loved the online, um, I wouldn't say online, but the catalog shopping, where she could call the 800 number and order it and put a credit card because she wasn't computer savvy or anything like that. And, but she never wore anything that she ordered. None mm. of the shoes, none of the clothes. She never used it. She was always saving for a special occasion, which never came because she you know, wasn't agile enough to really leave the house that often. And I remember I said to her mom, you know, you've got to use this stuff or I'm going to end up burying you in it. Well, sure enough, when she passed away unexpectedly, I went into her room and it was literally just bags and bags and bags of clothes and shoes and costume jewelry all of this stuff that she never got to utilize. And, you know, I know we were talking about the break about donations. I, you know, I got to donate it all to a women's shelter, but I did end up burying her in, you know, the new clothes that were never taken out of the package. They were just ordered and, and stayed there. Most of them she never even looked at. And, and I think it was a sense of control. Like that was her room. That was her space. That was, you know, a part of the house that my father didn't get to go into. And he couldn't tell her what to do. And there is a, you know, not only emotional aspect to the accumulation of stuff, but that mental aspect as well. It's not that she was mentally ill or anything like that, but it gave her a sense of control. When does it get really hard for, for you when you see that in a home that you're working to clear out? Almost every job is hard um, because people do this for, for various different reasons, like we said earlier. And with what you've just talked about with your mom being a sense of control with some people, it's like I said, to self-medicate about grief. Some people, it's this elusive way of trying to be happier, uh, to give themselves value. And so if that's the case, and then I'm coming in the door and I'm looking at all of this, the and a lot of it is new or they never used it, like their beautiful wedding china, right? And for me to tell them, you should start using this every day. And they just look at me and say, you mean use my wedding china? I said, yeah, you really should. Get rid of all this other stuff. Use it every day because if you break one, it's okay because more than likely nobody is going to want that or use it later. Every job is hard. Uh, Eva, it's just 
I never know when I walk in until I've talked with them, worked with them a few days, how deep their emotional attachment is to their things. And sometimes it's not even about stuff. People do this in their life with busy schedules, um, you know, working out at the gym for six hours a day. They just become very obsessed with something that they are trying to obtain. And I think because I do work with people that are older, they've learned in, in life that that didn't really work too well. So they do just hang on to their memories. And if they still have their spouse and their children, their people, they're very thankful for their people. And I can, I can just relate to that uh, heart to heart because that's where my treasures are, are my people. Now, I have some things in my home, obviously, that I love, but I walk around room to room and I'm kind of OCD. If anybody knows me real well, they go, preach it, sister. They know I, they know I am. But I, I don't have a lot in my home that if it was gone tomorrow, I would be upset. Um, but I work with a lot of clients that if they lost things in their home, their life would just be, they wouldn't want to continue. Wow. Um, wow. In fact, I have had a woman who, because she had to give up a large part of her designer things, she took an overdose. And are you kidding me? No, I'm serious. Wow. Because, and she was even able to keep a lot of it, but because she couldn't keep all of it, her life was not worth living. But she did not have good relationships with her people. So, you see yeah. Let's talk about the people, the people, the people, because I, I I still remember some of the challenges I had getting my parents to agree to start, you know, throwing out old stuff. I mean, stuff that I made in first grade. Like, come on, I'm in my sixties. Like, <laughs> do we really need to keep this? My children don't want it. They don't care what mommy made in arts and crafts class in grammar school. Can we throw this out and? And, and it caused a lot of tension on my visits back home mm -hmm. because I just did not want to get overwhelmed with a, a parent's sudden death and having to be forced to do all of this <laughs> after they're gone. I really thought I was helping them by having them be involved and everything I threw out, my mom would go back in the trash <laughs> and take it out. What are you finding is challenging for you with with the people, with the support system, with with your 75 and 80 year olds and their children who are trying to get them to want to downsize. What what experience has that been like for you? That comes up uh, often. A lot of times I hear from the children who let's say they're in their 50s and they're trying to get mom and dad to go through the basement or go through things so that it won't be waiting on them. And they ask me that question all the time. Well, how do I get mom and dad to get rid of stuff? Because they think we want this. Um, I, I tell them, you got to tread so lightly on that because it's respect for the parent that they still have the ability to be making these decisions. And if they just doggone don't want to do it, they're going to hang on to it. You can't make them. You can, but you can have those conversations and definitely you want to tell your parents, um, 
I want to go through this stuff with you. And if you're keeping anything because you think I want it, then I want to be able to help you make those decisions. And that part can maybe get done now. Um, and because literally sometimes it's because you didn't even have a conversation that mom, I, I don't want my baton and my old, you know, teddy bears. Now I'll keep my vinyl records, but I'm not going to want my art from, you know, seventh grade and, and make, make it fun and go through that stuff with them. But as far as their things, you're probably not going to get your parents to get rid of anything that is just, you know, belongs to them. Uh, and so I, that makes you kind of the middle middle person on this, right? <laughs> <laughs> it definitely does. And the fun part is what it's taught me with my kids. Um, I've definitely talked with them and they don't really want anything. And that is basically the case with almost every family that I work with. The younger generation does not need, and that really is the word, they do not need what their parents have. And see, that's where it all switched up because 50 years ago, when you got married, you needed what your parents gave you. That is not the case anymore. Life has changed. And I constantly do tell people life has changed. And hey, maybe it's a little bit better that our younger generation doesn't want to fill up their home with everything. They want to do things and spend time with people. I did not get those kids. They're like, I want your stuff now. <laughs> Why do I have to wait till you die? <laughs> Mommy has cool stuff, but no, no, I get what you mean. It really is a, a, a different generation. Just like, you know, I feel with our generation, we couldn't wait to leave the house and start our own families and be on our own. And, you know, our kids didn't have that sense of urgency because being at home was quite comfortable. <laughs> Yeah. And, um, you know, there was no, you know, you know, it, it, we didn't rule with the, as much of an iron fist, if you will, as as our parents did, for whatever reason that generation did. Are you finding that it's harder for men or women to get rid of stuff? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> oh, I, I, I would say women because of clothes and shoes and their children's memorabilia. But men can be really attached as well. I mean, I, I've told a funny story about a man I worked with, had 99 screwdrivers on the wall in his garage. And I said, you can't use this many screwdrivers. And he said, I don't like empty space. So I filled up the entire wall. Well, you know, that made him and I start having this conversation. I said, well, you know what? I need a good screwdriver. So can I have this one? And we got in a wrestling match. No, I need that. one. <laughs> and I said, but why you got 98 other screwdrivers? But they, they can be just as difficult. It's the category, you see. And when I work with people, I say, don't start in the category that you have the most difficult with. If you love to cook and bake, don't start in the kitchen. If you love to work um, on cars, don't start it with your tools. Pick areas to downsize and please do this on a regular basis. This is one of the things I do teach and preach about. Start now and do a little bit every month and you'll be so thankful that you did because it will get away from you in such a short amount of time. But by consistently being proactive, you, you can at least stay on top of it. 
Absolutely. Uh, I don't know. That's a toss up. That's a toss up. You know, I used to think it was, you know, again, my mom that was holding on to things. And then when my father no longer had her to blame, (laughs) I realized how much of it was actually him as well. It was quite the eye opening. But yeah, it's probably around different things that you say that are are important to them. Uh, I remember I I, I cleaned up uh, my old room once and my father had been staying in there. My parents did not sleep in the same room. And I was still working as a dental hygienist at the time. And I get this emergency call from my father where he said, I threw out a needle and thread. And I was like, yeah, but you have a whole sewing room in the basement where I know there are thousands of spools of thread and needle. No, I needed this particular one. Why do you need it, daddy? Because I have to sew my suspenders on my pants because I was raking the leaves and my pants fell down. And it was just like such urgency to him. And I'm 3000 miles away that he had to call me to find out where this particular needle and thread was, which I didn't have any memory of, but it can get quite comical. Some of the things that are important to them, that they they get their knickers in a twist over that we don't think, you know, as the children, I'll say, not as the expert like you, but that we don't think is important, but they put so much weight on it. And it's not that he can't get a needle and thread anywhere in the house, but it was because I took the liberty of getting rid of something that was his. Mm-hmm that that he had the problem with. So awesome. Let's take another quick break. And I want to go a little bit more into the distinguishing between having a lot of stuff and hoarding. I know you talked about it a little bit, but I really want to go into it. So we'll be right back. Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition not something you have. Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now. This is the year you can choose to change. Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress, and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships. www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. If you're an influencer, you don't follow the trends, you set them. Voice America influencers are involved in creating change in personal and professional lives, collaborating and driving value to make our lives better. We have world-renowned thought leaders, speakers, authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and some of the most influential voices today. Listen in today to what they have to say. Engage in the conversation. The Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Answer the call. What's stopping you from having more money, time, energy, and fun? Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it. www.evamedelec.com slash quiz. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel.
You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are here with Libby Patrick, the hoarder whisperer. (laughs) I gave you a new name, Libby. (laughs) Um, I do want to talk a little bit more about hoarding because, you know, the emotional attachment that we have to stuff, I think we all experience that at one time or another. I mean, I found a jar of my kids' baby teeth and, you know, you keep them long enough, they all split in half and they're just little pieces of enamel (laughs) crumbs. I'm like, yeah, but they're my baby's baby teeth. And, um, you know, and it, there's a lot of emotion to stuff. But when does the emotional piece of hoarding, you know, where it's really more emotional as opposed to the physical is what I'm trying to say, where the physical, like you had mentioned before, you know, you can't walk down the hallway, you know, there's just stuff lining every room of the house to where you can't function as a normal human being in the home. You know, how do you help people that are so emotionally attached to their stuff that it it's, you can tell that they're that it's very painful for them to get rid of things. Yes. This will come down to conversation with them. And the work doesn't even begin until we sift through what's really going on. So a person can have an entire room full of, let's say craft items. They're going to sew this, they're going to do this and this. And, they can't get rid of any of it. I mean, stacks of material because they're going to quilt, all these quilts. And if I go in there and we start trying to sort, no, I have to keep all of it. Okay, time out. We have to figure out what's going on because nobody in their lifetime can can do this much, quilting, sewing, whatever. Um, Conversations take you to, okay, why did they start this in the first place? What um void or emptiness are they trying to fill how are they validating themselves by um these accomplishments that they think they're going to do it's it's um a huge list sometimes of all i'm going to do this i'm going to become that i'm going to improve in this area so i bought all these things and yet it's not humanly possible to do any of that in the the time frame that they have um, I break through some of that, and again, I, I go to a certain point, but then if it's deeper, they they have to obviously talk to someone and get counseling. But I tell people, you know, what if your perspective changed? What if you intentionally worked at being happy with less? What does that look like? And asking some deep questions, people will then start talking. And again, it, it it has to do with their family, their loved ones. If it's dysfunctional, if they're estranged from each other. And sadly, Eva, I see that a lot. Um, I say, well, 
you have your children, where are they? Have they helped you with this? And then the stories start coming in of, well, I haven't spoken to them for 15 or 20 years. So that is a clue for me as well. And how I do it, I don't know. But to help other people, I would say, you know, remember this, more and more of anything will never fill the emptiness and more will not create happiness. So I have to repeat that a lot. Um, And then if your perspective changed and you intentionally worked at being happy with less, now what can we part with? Um, But here's the thing. People would rather make excuses (laughs) and keep trying more and more, either to be busy or buy more or whatever it is, than do the work that it takes to resolve the real issues. So I can help. That's hard. That's hard to do that because you're looking, you're looking in a mirror and seeing all the fissures (laughs) in your face that you don't want to see that you're not ready to see. I I remember having a patient who, who had had some LASIK surgery. And when she came in to see me to get her teeth done, she was mad at me. She goes, I, you know, I just had my eyes fixed and I had no idea. I was so old. Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> I had no idea I looked like this. But yeah, facing those those truths about ourselves are, is really, really uncomfortable. Do you actually have people on your your team, if you will, that helps with the emotional labor around those issues? Well, I do the majority of it, but when it like, like I said, when it gets past a certain point, then I have counselors in the area that I can refer them to. Referral partners. But when it, it comes to just the breakup of the stuff, and I shouldn't say just the breakup because it is a breakup, that is my specialty. I have to keep going over and over and over back to them, especially if they're moving to a smaller space. That's a real game changer when I say, but you're going from 4,000 square feet down to 1,200 square feet. And I have to keep saying that over and over because they have to get their brain wrapped around. This is not going to fit. Another illustration I like to use is we've all seen a homeless person on a corner pushing a shopping cart, right? And one day I saw that and I, I was wondering to myself, if all the space I had was that shopping cart, what would I choose to put in that cart? You get to keep your people so you don't have to put your people in there. But what would you put in that cart? And I, I thought it would not be a China hutch. It wouldn't even be China because that would not make sense, would it? It's going to be essentials that you truly need to uh, survive to bring yourself some comfort, uh, maybe a few treasured memories. But if that's the only space you had, you're going to start making some decisions and choices. Uh, thankfully, most, <laughs> not most, all people that I work with, they're not going down to a grocery cart, but they are <laughs> a smaller space. So we got to look at this and put essentials in there and see what your true treasures really are. Probably feels like that to them at some point, especially when you're doing that level of downsizing for sure. I mean, I, I look around at, at my house and it's it's not a big house. I'm thinking, I you know, instead of downsizing, I'm going to upsize into a bigger house <laughs> so I have 
more room for this this stuff. Um, your book, Miss Hoarder's Secret. What is the the moral or the lesson in that book? The lesson in the book. I want people to read the book, use it as a tool to check themselves. If they see their space starting to fill up, check yourself, ask yourself, why am I doing this? And to stop before it gets so bad that you're living in an unhealthy situation or your friends and family can't come over to visit you anymore because they're not comfortable coming over. That's a, a fine line to walk and people do get to choose how they live. And I'm not the judge of that. But if your loved ones can't come over and you're not seeing your grandkids as much as you want to, stop and take a look at that. Because again, I take it back to your people. Your people are so much more important than your things. Mm -hmm. And so I don't ever want it to be where they, they can't spend time with their loved ones. And they might have to have a hard conversation. The other part about the book, I guess, is it, it's fun because it, it's, it allows you to see all the really interesting things that are in people's homes. And I get it. I get it why people have kept um, their wedding gown or World War II memorabilia, uh, love letters, um, various different things, hats. You know, when men wore hats back in the 40s with every suit, I mean, I would hang on to that forever, too, if it was my dad's hat. But a hat doesn't take up that much room. It's these bigger things that that just go on and on and on. But um and then to end with the book, it is um, it kind of lets you see a little bit of my heart uh, because I kind of portrayed in the book as a, the downsizing lady in the book. And I, I do all I can sometimes. And sometimes I can't help. And so I have to just walk away because I, I, I did what I could, but I can't, I can't fix it. With this particular woman... Was she alive when you started working in her home? No, no, she had already passed. Okay, so you were learning about her through her stuff. Stuff, yes, yes. What was the Can most interesting that? thing you learned about her? It, the most interesting thing is what I didn't learn. I could not figure out what her plan was because she had so many things that it, it it didn't add up like she had no children there were no nieces and nephews or anything like that but she had um plastic containers full of little girls hair bows and clips and things she had containers full of um you know things to make jewelry various different things that it just seemed like there's no way she could be a chef and a jewelry maker and uh, going to do little girl's hair and paint fingernails. And then, of course, you throw in all the clothing and the shoes and um, party stuff. There was lots of party stuff. And then the real kicker was all the cleaning supplies that she had. 
that, of course, were not used. They were brand new and there was a mass amounts of them. So I walked out of there thinking, I don't know what your plan was. But I did say on my last day in there, I hope that it's made you have some sense of peace if you are able to know this that your things were donated. They were given to families who needed them and they were repurposed. They were not put in the landfill. Um, so I might be a little weird on that, that I talk to people. That are <laughs> no, I, I think it's a, an incredible show of respect for the, the human behind the stuff, if you will. You know, I, I, I felt a certain type of way when I was, you know, when I'm in beast cleanup mode, everything goes, everything goes. And I, and I felt a little bad I, when I cleaned up my mother's room, although I went through everything, I still felt that, you know, should I be more emotionally attached to all this stuff? And then I remember the person who my mother really was and how much she loved to help people and feed people and buy people things who were in need. And, and I, and that's what I had to tell myself. I'm donating this stuff to people who are in need and will repurpose them and will find some value in them. So it really helped me feel better for sure. So Absolutely. Libby, how can, can people get in touch with you and, and learn about your book and learn what they should do so that they don't become Miss Hoarder's secret themselves? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you can find me uh, a couple of different ways. Um, the website is bluerobindownsizing.com and you can go on my website and you can order the book from there because if you click on the book, it'll take you to Amazon to order the book. Awesome. Um, there is a, um, a small questionnaire in the back of the book and then you can also download another questionnaire off of the website and there will be some more book conversations coming up um, on the website. So keep looking at that. Uh, Email-wise is Libby uh, at bluerobindownsizing.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Libby, for the work that you do and and for the generous heart you have in taking care of our seniors and their treasures. And I also want to thank our listeners for choosing to listen to the show today. Uh, So grateful that you have chosen us in your feed and hopefully you're finding some value for yourselves in the show. And I hope you'll find the time to join us again next week. And as usual, I would love to leave you with a quote And this one is from Harvey McKay. Time is free, but it's priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. And once you've lost it, you can never get it back. So until next time, bye for now, everyone. Thanks for listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with Eva Medelec. We hope we've been able to inspire you with today's show to take control of your own life and focus on the win. What's important now? Until we talk again, have a beautiful week. Bye.